Welcome back to the Fluid Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Ruggiero, a four-time Olympian in ice hockey, representing Team USA. Got a gold, a couple silvers, and a bronze in my back pocket, but now I am on the field of the business of sports as CEO of Sports Innovation Lab. We're put on this earth to empower brands to create breakthrough fan experiences through technology. We just want to make the world a little bit smarter, a little bit more tech savvy, really focus that on the sports industry. Because I believe, I've seen the power of sport, our company sees the power of sport, and believe that technology is really the way to usher in that next generation fan. We do that through our software, the data that it produces, and our team of expert analysts that are looking at that data on behalf of our clients and on behalf of the sports industry to hopefully inspire and lead brands toward capturing the fluid fan. So we talk a lot about the fluid fan and it's part of the reason we started this podcast is to bring in thought leaders that are embracing this next generation fan. And so today I'm excited to have Simon Greenberg who comes from a very traditional industry. He started his career as a journalist covering the English Premier League and spent time working as a comms and public affairs director for Chelsea Football Club. But now he's really taking that background, again, very traditional background, biggest sport in the world, you know, soccer as we call it here in the U.S., football in general, in a a diehard market, if you talk about the English Premier League, and having to navigate this next generation fan. What are they like? And how do I put his current role to use, which is head of global rights at News Corp, and head of Dow Jones Sports. So his role, he's been there since 2016, is a relatively new division that houses Dow Jones Sports Intelligence. So we'll dive into that today, but really it's a due diligence service tailored to the sports industry. And he's currently leading News Corp strategy on the US sports betting markets. So we'll dive in to discuss Simon's rise to the sports industry as well as the creation of Dow Jones Sports. He'll lend his expert insights on what's going on in terms of due diligence in sports, what are the models he believes are needed to succeed in the age of the fluid fan, and he'll also offer his strategies towards how News Corp is navigating the ever-changing U.S. sports betting market. And again, not a new market in Europe. This has been around forever. It's just very exciting, I think, here in the U.S. to see the opportunity because those that are global absolutely see what it's done in Europe and are trying to capture that, obviously, new market here in the U.S. So it's my pleasure to welcome Simon Greenberg of News Corp and Dow Jones Sports to the Fluid Fan Podcast. I'd like to welcome Simon Greenberg, head of Dow Jones Sports, the division of Dow Jones that houses Dow Jones Sports Intelligence, which is the first due diligence service tailored to the sports industry. He is also the global head of rights at News Corp, where he currently leads their strategy on U.S. sports betting. Simon Greenberg, welcome to the show. Thank you, Angela. Very pleased to be here. So we met a few years back when I was on the International Olympic Committee early on and, you know, getting to know what the plans were at at Dow and and News Corp. Before we dive into our relationship and what you're doing now with Dow, I want to start with you. Our listeners can hear the nice English uh, accent. You grew up University of Exeter. You went on to City University of London, actually came back here in Boston Harvard Business School 2008 for an executive leadership program there. 
But you started your career not in sports. You started your career as a journalist. Can you tell us a little bit about your background as a journalist before we dive into your work within the sports community? Sure. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. So pr- I was a journalist predominantly in sports, but when I first started, I was a news journalist on a what we used to call local newspapers, which obviously you have in the States as well. And I was covering all sorts of things from sort of council meetings and police meeting the police and sort of finding out what crime was in the area. But I'd went into sports journalism fairly early and my entry into sports journalism was really straightforward. I had ambitions to be a professional sports person, but never got to the sort of levels that you did, Angela. And so I decided very early on that I wasn't going to be a professional sports person but the next best thing would be to write, be paid to write about sports and travel around the world writing about sports. So that's effectively what I very fortunately did for a lot of my career as a journalist and then moved into the sports industry itself with Chelsea Football Club and became their first communications director just after the takeover by Roman Ramovich, who your listeners may be familiar with, was a Russian businessman who bought Chelsea in 2003, and I joined not long after that. So Chelsea Football Club, you again launched your sports career, if you will, sports journalism career as the communications and public affairs director. You then moved on, you helped England with their 2018 FIFA World Cup bid. Not very successfully. Well, you know, but, but hey, you got the experience. You got to, you know, really think about the future, right? As you're trying to conceive and communicate what the future of that World Cup could look like if it came to England. Tell me a little bit about that. I, I as you know, was the chief strategy officer of the LA 2028 Olympic bid. And, and that was one thing that opened my eyes is you really have to project into the future eight plus years and build a bid, build a compelling value prop to the future of sport, and in this case, football, or as we call here in the state, soccer. What are some of the components, even back then, that you saw were changing the game in sports and really opening the eyes of global football community? So you'll know from your own experience of bidding how far in advance, right, you have to bid. So actually, we were bidding in, I joined in 2009, and we were bidding for the tournament in 2018. And back in 2009, I mean, the word innovation was obviously around, but I just don't think it had the same sort of resonance as it does now. And we were up against other countries that was, certainly had a more, I would say, a more innovative approach. So particularly Russia and Qatar, because a lot of their stadiums weren't built and they were able to sort of, if you like, future-proof what they were building. Whereas... You know, one of the we felt one of the compelling factors for the England bid was actually the sort of more traditional, i.e., most of our stadiums were were already built, so they didn't particular. And, and so, from a fan experience point of view, a lot of the things that we now take for granted wouldn't necessarily have been sort of innovated within our bid at the time. I suspect there were other bids that were much more innovative than us, but and we very much relied upon the idea of that England was just a great place to watch the tournament, our infrastructure, our stadiums, our cities, our, our hotels. But actually, in terms of innovation, I sort of go back a little bit before my World Cup days to my Chelsea days. And I remember in the very early days of Twitter, and I can't remember when Twitter first started, but in, in 2005, we were the first football club to have a Twitter account. 
in the in the Premier League. And we nicknamed or we tagged our Twitter account. It was Stamford the Lion. Now Stamford the Lion's the mascot of Chelsea because we play we played at Stamford Bridge, um, and our and our badge is a is a lion was a lion. And so we had a Stamford the Lion Twitter account. And I remember one day I completely broke with convention. And you might want to call this someone might call this, call this something might call this innovative. We broke with convention and we announced the teams at a particular game on Twitter rather than hand out the piece of paper in the in the press room which was the traditional way of traditional way of announcing the teams and there was a lot of confusion and i remember being told by one journalist on the daily mirror newspaper why are you doing this it will never catch on and i went well i don't know you know we're doing it because it's different and it's a bit innovative and i suspect it will catch on but who knows anyway so that, yeah that's just a little sort of anecdote i suppose about thoughts around sort of innovation and sort of my own experience with it in in some of the in the in the early days so going back to the bids I really yes I probably to be honest I would say that the England bid probably wasn't particularly innovative it was probably relying on some tried and trusted elements of English football and English tradition and probably sold itself as the safe bid actually as opposed to something that was particularly innovative yeah, and that's such a, it, you know, the, I think the transition now we're seeing with these big global entertainment platforms, whether it's, you know, the Super Bowl, the World Cup, the Olympics, you can't get away. Everyone has the word innovation uh, in, <laughs> in it. It's, it's being willing to straddle both the tradition and the newness, the, the technology, the, the things that will appease these fluid fans, as we call them, at Sports Innovation Lab. So you had that really great experience, obviously, at Chelsea with the bid, fast forward a few years, you've climbed the ladder, so to speak, at, at News Corp to be global head of rights there now. And you're really helping to establish now as the head of, of Dow Jones Sports, preeminent player in this space. Can you talk us through that rise, really what you're focused on now within Dow Jones Sports and, and why in particular the first sort of product out of the gates that's been really publicly discussed and that obviously I've, I learned about on the IOC was this due diligence service that is tailored to the sports industry. So, yeah, I mean, to sort of to make it simple for everybody listening, I mean, essentially what my various grand sounding titles are, but I'm basically the sports guy who works in our head office or out of our head office in New York, although I live in London. And so my role is just to look, you know, News Corp has a huge tradition in sport through its newspapers around the world, the UK and the US and Australia in particular. It's previous, previously when, in, when the com two companies were merged, the ownership of Fox Sports, the shareholding in Sky Sports and all the other related Sky properties, which obviously have now been, now been sold. Uh, my role is sort of with the publishing side of the business and that covers you know, Dow Jones as well and the Wall Street Journal. This is a really, really interesting time for us, like it is for most publishers who are trying to straddle, you know, that transition from print to digital, generally mm -hmm. speaking, but also where, where we find our role in sport. It's played a huge role in our UK newspapers, as you know, The Sun and The Times, The Sunday Times, just like the, uh, regarded as a sort of market leaders for sport. 
in, in the UK, the same as our properties in Australia, the same in the New York Post, something you're probably very familiar with, is obviously a market leader in the sort of tri-state area for sports and the Wall Street Journal's, you know, particularly uh, unique view of sports sort of leads the way on that front. But there's so much happening in sports now, and I think where my role, I'm extremely fortunate and privileged, is I get to see, you know, one of the things is, people are always looking for money and they always look to come to News Corp to say, are you interested in investing in this? And are you interested in investing in that? And I get to see most of the stuff that's out there from a sports perspective that is sort of, you know, where the people are looking to raise capital. You know, there's great structural shifts, I think, happening in sport, particularly in the US at the moment. And I would summarize those as, you know, leading that way is US sports betting, is the biggest change I think in US sports in decades, primarily because the revenue that will be generated by betting is the single largest revenue trajectory growth area in sports ever. If you think that in May 2018, before PASPA was repealed, the amount of money in legal sports betting in the US was effectively about $5 billion which was Nevada only, but really effectively, you know, zero from a, from a, you know, across the industry perspective, there's very little value to the industry. And within five years, that number could be a hundred billion dollars. Tell me more about that. I find that really interesting. You've, you've got this, as you say, fancy title, but you're really responsible for the growth of sport at Dow Jones. You mentioned the wall street journal. You have a number of traditional publications that are now saying, Okay, what, what do we want to do to be different, to evolve? M&A is a big piece of it. And you're seeing all these deals. And you're saying, out of the gate, sports betting, that's the thing that I believe really will fundamentally shift the sports and entertainment ecosystem. And do you believe that, is that in and of itself, or is that also enhancing the enormous broadcast rights that we're seeing? And, and maybe there's more data and overlay to, to get people to watch those traditional streams that are still a big cash cow for the industry? I mean, I think it's all those things. I mean, from my perspective at News Corp is where, what is News Corp's place in the US sports betting ecosystem? That's mm -hmm. what we've got to work out because there's a huge amount of money. Look, a lot of the money, if you take the $100 billion figure by 2025, some people will agree, some people will disagree, but it, by 2025, a hundred billion dollars of what they call handle, which is the amount of money bet legally in America before payouts, right? So just the amount of money bet. Once the payout, that, that, that reduces significantly, obviously once people get paid out for their wins, right? So what, there is still a lot of money available even once people get paid out, what they call revenue or GGR, right? Gross gaming revenue. Mm -hmm. That is the amount of money that's left after all bet after winning bets are paid out. Uh, that is still going to be a massive amount. Where is our role in that? What is what slice of the pie can we get from that? Now, historically, publishers have always done well in particularly in mature markets like the UK and Australia from sports betting, because sports betting operators need two things really. They need they need brand awareness and they need customer acquisition. But I think, you know, broadcast will be important. But I think broadcast is, it's difficult just putting an ad or embedding 
your content in a broadcast uh, uh, stream is not as, I, I'm not sure is as valuable, necessarily as valuable as being able to, you know, track the user who clicks on the New York Post Yankees match report or match preview, who then clicks on the odds that are being offered on that page with our with the New York Post betting partner, whoever that will be in the future. You know, I, I think it's a question of whether how immersive the broadcast experience is going to be. My challenge and use corp is to find what is our role in that and we think our role in that is is not to be a an operator so not to create a for example a new york post bet product in the same way that as you know fox have created fox bet and maybe some of the other big media companies will create their own slash bet in conjunction with an operator i think our view is there's a lot of money that could be made from sort of servicing the gold rush and the picks and shovels and pipes of the gold rush, right? Mm -hmm. So what, what is needed for the gold rush, right? Your system. I love it. You mentioned you're exploring, you're obviously finding your way in this ecosystem, taking more of a supportive role. You're a member of our immersive media leadership board. Coming from a traditional organization, you know the importance of measurement, audience engagement. Some of the topics we discuss at Sports Innovation Lab a lot are the issues of privacy, shared accounts, secondary broadcast channels that have all made sort of quantifying viewership, engagement, very difficult. Do you have any perspective on that? How you see, whether it's traditional linear or digital, how you see viewership and engagement measurement changing? You know, everyone's sort of predicting where the eyeballs will be, where these sports bettors will be, and it's hard to really define where they currently are. So I'm curious to get your perspective, just coming from a, a more traditional perspective. Well, I think you're right. It is very, you know, where are your sports betters? I mean, who knows how many sports betters there are? It's estimated that the illegal sports betting market in the U.S. is worth $150 billion a year. So, you know, who, who those people are and persuading them to do it legally, I think, is a challenge. If anyone can, forgive the pun, crack the code of engagement, viewership in an accurate and validated way, then they're going to, whoever does that is going to make a lot of money mm -hmm. because there is, as you know, there is still doubt about numbers that get presented to companies like us and other media companies from social platforms about the validity and provenance, you know, are these even really people, right? That these numbers that you're presenting us with. So somebody who really, really, you know, a true innovator and somebody who could seriously make, or a company can seriously make a lot of money by cracking the ability to say, no, these are real people, this is real engagement, this is real viewership, mm -hmm. and this is how you're able to access them. I'd love to know who that company is and hopefully they need Maybe funding. Maybe you'll invest and, in them. There you go. <laughs> and we'll invest in them, right? Because I don't think it's been solved yet. I mean, yep. a lot of people might claim it has, but, you know, I, I think everyone's still searching for that. And there may not be one answer to that either. And the other challenge, of course, is with, with regards to betting is how the regulatory landscape is unfolding. You know, it's very patchwork. Each state 
you know, has to pass its own legislation to, to legalize. And that legislation is very different from state to state. The regulatory requirements are very different from state to state. New Jersey is fully mobile and online to all intents and purposes. Uh, New York is at the moment only legal from a retail only perspective. And uh, California, Texas and Florida, the three most populous states in America, there's no prospect of them introducing sports betting in the foreseeable future. And then all of a sudden, maybe there will be a prospect. I mean, no one knows, right? It's, you get different opinions from different people. And so the challenges are different state by state. And then sort of targeting audience from that perspective, you've really got to, you know, firstly, there's some potential regulatory issues, but, you know, you've really got to be able to drill down into the data and say, okay, here's our New York audience and here's our New Jersey audience. And actually, I think that's in some ways easier to do for publishing companies or those that have got a big digital footprint. Uh, and I know a lot of the broadcasters also have a big digital footprint. But if you're delivering, you know, if you're delivering a national broadcast of an NFL game, I'm not sure how, how you're able to target um, people in live legal betting states. There must be, a, there has to inevitably be a lot of wastage. So what have you heard? You're going through the world. Obviously, sports betting is something that you are keen to invest in. You know, there's an opportunity here. Obviously, you said $100 billion by 2025. So Dow Jones Sports it has to monitor the sports betting market from an integrity perspective. That's something that obviously I know you're, you're doing a lot around, but what's the, what has the feedback been as you talk to leagues or federations and how they're thinking about monetizing their data, um, really, you know, taking their sports betting platform to the next level. If that's really something that they're, cause, cause I, we talk a lot about this from a, you know, talking to DraftKings or talking to MGM or talking to, leagues or teams but you're you're coming at it from a, a completely different perspective so i'm curious to hear the reaction that that you've heard are, are people as bullish as you are or what are the, some of the limitations that you're seeing well i think everyone's bullish from a value perspective i think different leagues differ from how much they want to engage i mm -hmm. think there's still a little bit of reticence about how much engagement i think some are more bullish than others I think the NBA has probably been the most bullish. From an integrity perspective, I mean, that is a fascinating area and it's one that we're looking closely at. We work with a lot of operators in, in Europe from a sort of KYC and anti-money laundering perspective. That's something we're interested in doing in the US. You know, there's also a lot of other areas from a compliance and integrity and regulatory perspective that are also interesting from a providing news and information around the changing you know regulatory landscape there's the technology that might be needed to implement sports betting in the u.s on the state-by-state -state basis including the sort of geo-blocking technology so when you cross state lines if you're a new yorker and you go to new jersey and you place your bet in new jersey but then you go back to new york you try and place your bet again you shouldn't be able to do that right that's a sort of critical that's a critical piece of technology that there's one company very smart company in particular that you know supplies that technology to the betting industry so there's lots of lots of interest so from a dow jones perspective which is predominantly from a b2b perspective 
those areas really interest us. So I think the important thing, whenever we look at doing, um, it doesn't matter what area of our business, is what problem are you trying to solve for someone? Because if you're not solving a problem, it's probably not that valuable what you're offering. So I think, you know, that's the way we're approaching the market is we've got certain assets that are of interest. We have a very um, successful business in Dow Jones called Risk and Compliance. And effectively, Dow Jones Sports Intelligence is an offshoot of our risk and compliance business. And the problem we solve for people, and that can also apply to the betting industry, is how much do you know about the people you're about to go into business with? And we provide due diligence tailored to the sports industry around sports for sports stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And we work for clubs, football clubs in Europe. We work for leagues. We work for global sponsors. We work for international federations. We work for multi-sport federations. We do, you know, bidding process due diligence. We do sponsor due diligence. We do player due diligence. I mean, so it's a very, you know, that's, that, that's what we do. And obviously that's something that potentially could play a role in sports betting as well in the US. And everyone's very focused on the US sports betting industry. I would just add that actually, you know, gambling and gaming is liberalizing around the world now, not the US is by far the biggest opportunity. But for example, Japan are introducing um, introduced legislation recently around allowing casinos for the first time. I think there's three licenses. You know, so at what point does sports betting come into that in yeah. Japan? So well. tell me a little bit more about that. Obviously, Europe, this has been around for a long time. This isn't a big deal. All of a sudden, there's a, the, the US market opened up and you talked about the legislation and the hurdles there. Assuming we get past that, you know, sports betting, as you mentioned, is global now. It's, it's just, it's going to be, it's part of, as we call it, you know, if these fluid fans want more, demand more, more fickle, I mean, that's one of the reasons people are plowing capital into this space because it is an engagement tool. It is something that, that fans we've seen, you have more money on the game or even just from a fantasy perspective you're more likely to watch, you're more likely to engage. And so it's an engagement mechanism at the end of the day, outside of just, hey, there's a lot of money at stake and a a big opportunity. From your perspective, obviously, working and living and, you know, obviously, you're here in the US occasionally, but you understand the European market and the best practices, so to speak. I talk a lot about the technology hurdle, that if a venue is going to implement it, or you're going to watch from home, you talk to bit about it but like I'd love to hear your perspective from a tech angle what are the hurdles that the U.S. market the Japanese market other markets now have to think through as we're trying to adopt you know sports betting holistically so I I actually think there's a quite a straightforward answer to this question and people or organizations always try to run they try to run before they can walk and the biggest technology question let's just take the u.s that the u.s sports betting industry has is the operators just having good product yeah because if you haven't got good product and you can't place a bet or it's confusing to place a bet on your app and some of them are by the way and even in the uk where you know it's the most mature sports betting market in the world along with australia right which is the sort of home of News Corp. So actually, from a News Corp perspective, we believe that actually is from a media company, we're a media company that understands sports betting better than any other media company in America. 
mainly because we've had so much of experience of it in the US and uh, sorry, in, our, in the UK and in Australia, right? For years, decades. You know, we've been partnering with betting operators for decades in the UK and Australia. But it still comes down to the same thing, which is if your product's no good, then you're not going to be able to place a bet or your people will be confused about where they place a bet or what a bet means or anything else. So I think there's a huge, there's two things. The operators need their product to be really good and really easy to use and they need to educate people. Then start worrying about, you know, engagement tools and this and that. Yeah, so start with the core. Simon Greenberg, head of Dow Jones Sports. A really interesting perspective. Then just playing off of that, what are good products? What are some of the good partnerships you've seen? We see thousands of them at Sports Innovation Lab. Our job is to look at the market, but I'm curious from your perspective, starting with the product, you're starting from scratch, who, you know, who, who are those that you would look towards? On the betting front? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, I think some of the European operators still haven't got theirs quite right yet who come into the market. I think... FanDuel and DraftKings, from a product perspective, have an advantage currently. But that doesn't stop people from catching up. And so I would say, say that they're the sort of best at the moment. And, you know, from a transaction perspective, everybody still has a little few challenges from a transaction perspective, which is obviously vitally important. All right. Well, thank you so much for your perspective, giving our listeners an understanding of, of what you're doing at Dow Jones Sports, and in particular, the sports betting market, which I know is absolutely one of the topics we talk about all the time. It's changing the game across the board. Before we go, I've got four questions. With number I know these four. are the hard ones. Like, this is the hard really- one. So number four, I, I, this is my favorite number. Obviously, it was on my back when I played hockey. We tried to pick four questions related to innovation and I want to get your perspective, Simon. So the first one is, what does innovation mean to you? Oh my God, this is so hard. Innovation means to me somebody who's solving a problem in a simple and effective manner. Love it. Solving problems. You always start with that problem. What's the, uh, that's, that's the basic business question. What problem are you solving? All right, moving on. Who is the most innovative person in our industry or caveat you can think about outside i was like there's someone in our industry love to give them a shout out but just a person that you look up to you think that's actually doing things differently oh my god that is such a hard question so you know what everyone's gonna say uh, there's two people so two people in the industry that and i'm I'm talking the sports industry that i think are are really innovative i think that Athletes generally, so for, I'll use an example. So the athletes that are turning themselves, be, uh, taking themselves beyond athlete, at being athletes into the world of being innovators, entrepreneurs, content creators. So, you know, the, and investors. So the LeBron Jameses, the Kevin Durants, the Derek Jeters with the players. You know, those, that's a really, I think that's a major structural change in sports yeah. is the evolving the evolution of the athlete right as an entrepreneur as a content creator as a platform owner um and as an activist i think the the, the people doing stuff in that area i think are really innovative and people are going to say that i'm being sycophantic but i really believe this 
that for 87, I think he is now, maybe 88 year old man, Rupert Murdoch is still one of the most innovative people around. He has the most active mind. He sold, obviously, the decision to sell 21st Century Fox and shocked everyone to do that. But I think that was an innovative move because he recognized what was happening in the, in the broader media industry. And he is the most active, inquisitive person that I know. So, you know, Rupert, you could speak to him. I could speak to athletes. I think you're right on that one. They're not just players, they're media companies, they're brands. And the Fluid Fan follows players now. It's such a just, I think it's a, one of the biggest disruptions of sports is the powers shifting from teams and leagues and federations and really going in the hands of the athletes. And the, the smartest ones, as you pointed out, the innovative ones are seeing that trend and taking advantage of it. All right, yeah. what's the most innovative company? that you've seen in the sports tech space? Again, this could be anything from player performance, brand engagement, what you're seeing in the venues, maybe something you use at home, maybe you've invested in. I don't know, something that you're like, that's gonna be a, a winner. There's a few that I wished I had. Look, the, the, the sort of area of athlete performance and wearable, I mean, I, I haven't got a specific one, but if there's a company out there, and you probably, you will know, Angela, because this is your area, if there's a company out there that is able really to bring to the fan, and this is your point of the fluid fan, the performance technology or the performance stats that people see on the pitch, and I'm talking about the really interesting granular stuff, not shots on target and kilometers run and all that type of thing. Yeah. If they're able to bring that to the fluid fan in a, in a real time perspective to as I'm watching my team which is Tottenham in the Premier League I'm on my phone getting alerts about Harry Kane right that that if there's somebody that does that that I think would be fantastic awesome and by the way from a betting perspective that would also be interesting because does that then make me think I'm going to put a bet on Harry Kane because I can see that he's outperforming not only with my own eyes but the data in front yeah. of me is telling He's outperforming is the guy that's marking him. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge focus of our Athlete Data Leadership Board. It's not just the performance of this data. It's, it's literally what you're saying, Simon. The future could be, hey, I'm, I'm sitting at home. I can see your heart rate elevating. You're, you're nervous. You're, you, know, you can't uh, control your breathing. I, I'm going to put a bet that you're going to drop the ball or miss yeah, the exactly. Pitch. Just from an engagement and, and, and as this topic has been around sports betting, absolutely that athlete data will eventually make its way in. And, uh, and I'm gonna, I'm, we're definitely tracking closely. All right, last one. Most innovative league, team, or federation? Who's a group that you say is really pushing the boundaries and pushing us all to be better? Well, I mean, I think there's different areas that people are pushing. So... I think from an innovation perspective, I think it's difficult to look beyond the NBA. I think they're, I mean, they even have an NBA tech summit, right? Yep. Um, I think they're always, they've, and I think in terms of this, you know, as you put it, disruption, or I put it structural change amongst athletes, I think the basketball players are sort of leading, tend to be leading that. But I think, I just think, you know, there are so many in terms of, in, ter in terms of actual quality 
I still think the Premier League, I mean, I, we talk about innovation and everything, but the product's still got to be right. So in, in terms of the best product, I still think the Premier League is, is the best pro sports product. Mm -hmm. Now, other, other leagues might be doing things better around their product and presenting it better and everything else. But as a compelling product, I still think the Premier League is ahead of everyone else. All right, that's it. Simon Greenberg, head of Dow Jones Sports. Thank you so much for providing your perspective, for being a leader in the space, uh, for joining our Immersive Media Leadership Board and, and sharing uh, what you guys are up to and, and how you're thinking with the world. Have, have, a, have a great day. Thanks for being on. We'll, we'll hang soon, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Angela. Thank you very much. So a big thanks to Simon Greenberg for taking the time to join me on the show today. As you heard, he's got his finger on the pulse in many different markets in sports. I've gotten to know him through the IOC and some of my work internationally. It was great to bring uh, you know, his global perspective, and you can tell he knows how valuable tech is going to be moving forward. So happy he could share his uh, experience within sports and perspective on how far the industry has come with regards to innovation and where the potential continues to lie. So once again, I want to thank my producer, Jack Barlow, the rest of the research team at Sports Innovation Lab, and everyone at the Sports Innovation Lab, for that matter, for all the work they do every day to educate our clients on the market, really sitting in the intersection of tech and sport. I want to thank you, our listener, for tuning into the show. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. Give me some feedback. I'm dying for feedback. So like or don't like, you can do thumbs down. I'm, I won't be offended. But we're looking for, obviously, ways to speak to you. What do you want to hear? What, who are the interesting guests? Um, what are the kinds of technology that you want us to highlight? We've got tons of it. Our software, my analysts have mined thousands, literally, of companies. Um, so we're following a a really deep bench, so to speak, and want to hear from you what you want to hear about. So go on to our uh, website, sportsilab.com, ping us on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and download all of our latest reports. Really excited to share our research with you. So once again, this is Angela Ruggiero, the CEO of Sports Innovation Lab, saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next Fluid Fan Podcast.